Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. Like so many other churches and houses of worship across the world, we've decided to take our weekly service online to comply with various social distancing efforts and stay-at-home orders in light of the recent coronavirus pandemic. Our stream goes live every Sunday at 10 a.m. Be sure to check it out on our website at cascadevineyard.org stream or on Facebook at Cascade Vineyard Church. We'd love to have you join us online. Enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you again. couple things real quick off the top here. just want to give you a little bit of an update. Uh, obviously, you know, things are moving all the time and changing all the time. Uh, so we, we had submitted a proposal to try to, to begin regathering again. Uh, and then there was sort of this spike or this surge or whatever you call it. And so uh, we're on hold again. And we're working with our friends at Christ the King and surveying other churches in the community in the area, what they're doing as well. But uh, all that to say that at this point in time, we still don't have uh, a specific date in which we can reconvene again, but we're looking at some other options. And so we'll keep you updated on that again. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, my weekly newsletter. If I'll, I'll make sure you have updates there and then check in with us on Sunday and we'll, we'll try to keep you up to date as much as possible on where we are and what's going on uh, as far as uh, ideas where we might be able to get together for like even an outdoor worship time or something like that. Uh, second thing, I just want to remind you again, we really appreciate you guys have been so awesome at getting your tithes and offerings in. Uh, and we, we really do appreciate that because obviously, even though we're not here, our bills continue. We're still paying rent, still paying salaries, still paying all of our utilities. Um, and just again, too, thanks to Michael Jordan and our, our food bank crew. We are continuing to, to serve each week. The only day, really, the office is open is Thursday, and our crew is there, and we're still distributing groceries today. Uh, we had, uh, this week, we had uh, almost 40 families, uh, which represents, you know, more than 150 people that we were able to provide groceries to. So that's happening every week. Uh, so just keep those things in mind, and, and we'll update you. So... Uh, I heard, I want to tell you a little story. I heard somebody one time say that the worth of an item is the price paid for it. The worth of an item is the price paid for it. And that's really true because how much is something worth? Well, something is worth whatever it might be, however much somebody is willing to pay for it. If you're going to sell your home, you know, Donna works in real estate and you want to know what is the market value of that home? How much are homes similar to my home going for? And then I put it on the market and sometimes somebody wants that home bad enough that they'll, they'll pay more than you're asking for it so that they can guarantee that they'll get their home. So what your home is really worth is not so much even market value as what someone will pay for it. And that's true not just of your home. It's true of cars. It's true of clothing, even smaller items, you know, a gallon of milk. So how much is a gallon of milk? You can go to Safeway, it's four fifty. You go to Fred Meyer's, four twenty nine. But you could go to Whole Foods and pay $6 for a gallon of milk. That's up to you. It's what somebody is willing to pay. Back when uh, I was younger, <laughs> a few years ago, uh, 1977, Elvis Presley uh, ate lunch at a diner in North Carolina. And one of his assistants, very stealthily, as Elvis was leaving, took the glass of water. There was a, just a little bit of water in the bottom of Elvis's glass. And he took a napkin and picked that up. And he took it outside and he sold it to a guy, a fan that was waiting out there. Uh, Elvis's water glass with just a tiny little bit of water in the bottom for four hundred and fifty-five dollars. 
Sometimes it gets just bizarre weird what people are willing to pay for something. Uh, 2004, maybe some of you remember this. Uh, there was a woman who had a grilled cheese sandwich, and she had taken a bite out of it, and then she forgot about it for 10 years. Now, I have a lot of questions. I mean, first of all, how do you take a bite out of a grilled cheese sandwich and then forget about it? I mean, I like grilled cheese. I usually finish my sandwich. But let's just say you take a bite out of your sandwich and you forget about it. Is it just laying on the counter for 10 years? Where did it go? Uh, but she finds the 10-year-old grilled cheese sandwich, which has, of course, turned moldy in the, in the, uh, in the interim there. Sandwich has mold on it, but... She looks at it, and the mold that's grown on the sandwich uh, seems to depict the, an image of the Virgin Mary, which I have more questions about because I could be wrong. I'm not 100% sure on this, but I, I, I'm fairly certain that we don't have any photographs of, of Mary. We don't really know exactly what she looked like. So technically, what was on the sandwich was the image of a woman uh, in mold, Wh whatever. The reality is that she sold that sandwich for $28,000. Someone was willing to pay $28,000 for a 10-year-old, partially eaten, moldy grilled cheese sandwich. One of my favorites, and uh, you guys might remember this, 2007, uh, Britney Spears shaved her head. What you, what you might not know, what you might not uh, have heard about is the owner of the, the salon, uh, Britney Spears, went to a beauty salon to have her head shaved. And after she left, the owner of that salon auctioned off her hair. She had Britney Spears hair. Wow, that's worth some money. And so she auctioned it off for opening bid. Wait for it. One million dollars. $1 million for Britney Spears' hair. Although it was kind of a package deal because included with the hair, you got a ponytail holder that she had, uh, a Bic lighter that she had left behind, and an empty Red Bull can that she drank while she was waiting to get her hair cut. So you got a lot of stuff there for your million. It's a great deal. Value of something is what someone is willing to pay for it. So uh, that, that was just a little intro. We're going to continue looking at the parables today. And again, you know, you might think, well, we've heard the parables before. We've read them a lot. Uh, but here's the thing. I think Scripture has the ability to speak into our lives different things at different times. And so there may be some application to some of these parables today that wasn't there uh, 10 years ago or maybe even last week. So, uh, you know, in the, in the near future, we're going to just continue to read through some of the parables and uh, talk a little bit about those. The context today is this. Uh, and we'll get to the scripture in a minute, but the context is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are upset with Jesus. And they're upset with Jesus, of course, because he's hanging out with sinners. Uh, he's even having dinner with them. And he's not confronting them on their sin. He's just hanging out. And in effect, what Jesus is saying is, you guys are my people. That's what we do, right? We hang out with our people. Those people that we like to be with, our friends, our crew, our gang, we hang out with them. And Jesus is choosing to hang out with the sinners. The Pharisees don't like that because they have the assumption that they're God's chosen people. They are loved and valued by God, not these sinners. And so shouldn't Jesus technically be hanging out with them instead of these other lowlifes? 
Remember, you know, as we said before, the Pharisees had the right theology, the right belief system. They believed the right things, and they, they had the right behavior. They technically were righteous people. They lived upright, righteous lives. What they had was wrong hearts. Their hearts were really in the wrong place because they're very self-focused here. In their mind, if the Messiah shows up, surely he'll be coming to hang out with us, right? He'll be helping us to pass laws and to uphold those laws. Um, he'll, he'll identify with who we are, but he's not. And they don't like it. In fact, they're enraged with the idea that Jesus wouldn't come and spend time with them, but instead would go spend time with these people that they kind of look down on. So, so in response, uh, Jesus tells a series of parables about being lost. Uh, there's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost son, and the one that we're going to look at today is the parable of the lost coin. Uh, it's a short passage, just a couple verses in Luke 15. So let's pray, and then we'll read that together, and then we'll just talk a little bit about it. So Jesus, we thank you so much for just the opportunity to uh, be together even virtually today and to be able to look into your word and to grow. I just pray, Lord God, that you would bring health and healing to uh, our, our culture, our society, our state, our church, our area, and that you would really uh, make a way, open the door for, for your people to gather ag- together again soon, that we might really be uh, in, in full community, uh, real live personal community, not just virtually. Um, just bless us today and bless your people. Amen. All right, looking at Luke 15, again, just a short passage here. Says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and she says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the. Uh, the coin in question in the story here is, is called a drachma. Drachma is a silver coin, and it's worth about a day's wages at minimum wage. And so today's equivalent uh, would be about 90 bucks. In Oregon, I believe the minimum wage is around 11.25 an hour. You work a full day, you make about $90. So this coin is, is uh, valuable, but it's, it's not a lot of money. It's not like she lost thousands of dollars. She, she lost a small amount of money. But Jesus says in his story that she lights a lamp, she moves the furniture, she sweeps. She's pretty desperate to find her coin. So there's one way to interpret that where you say, well, maybe she was poor. And if 10 coins was all she has, if, if that's her, her life savings and she loses one of the 10, that's a lot. That, that's a significant portion of, of her, her, her livelihood or her investment or her, her uh, future. That's possible. Um, but but I, I just I want to dig a little deeper, and I want to ask some questions of the text today. And that's really what you do when we study the Bible. We want to dig deeper uh, and ask questions. So so I've got a few questions. One is, why, why in this story that Jesus tells was this a woman and not a man? Second question, why a silver coin, a drachma, instead of a, a gold coin that might be more valuable than that? She could have lost something much more valuable, but she didn't. Why are there ten... And she loses one. Is that an important aspect of the story? And then uh, why does she say, I found my coin? 
I think, you know, if you were talking to your friend, you say, oh, I, I lost a dollar. You wouldn't say, I lost my dollar or I found my dollar. You would say, oh, I lost a dollar. But she says, this is my coin. Um, final, finally, last question. Why is she so excited when she finds this coin that she, she calls all her friends and, and tells them that she found it? Um, here's what I think. It seems to me as though there might be something more personal going on here than just the loss of, of some money. Uh, first century Palestine, uh, among peasant, the peasant class, it was very customary. When a woman was betrothed to be married, uh, she would be given a necklace with 10 silver coins on it. And that was uh, symbolic, sort of like an engagement ring today. It was a promise to be married down the road. Now, if she, in fact, had lost one of those coins, th to me, the story makes more sense. There's a much more personal dimension to possibly losing a coin that was part of that betrothal uh, promise than just a, a random drachma. So, so I don't know if that's the case. I'm reading between the lines here a little bit. But as I read a number of commentaries this week, that made the most sense to me. Remember, the parable is told in response to the Pharisees judging sinners. In their religion, they're assessing these other people. They're doing effectively a comparative market analysis a cultural market value of the sinners, and they say their value is lower than ours. Uh, cultures, it doesn't matter, Western culture, Eastern culture, modern culture, ancient culture, all have a way of evaluating people. Um, you know, for example, today, if I go to the grocery store and I see my neighbor Bob there, I go, hey, Bob, how's it going? Good to see you, man. Uh, but if I walk in the grocery store and let's say I see Jennifer Lawrence, that's a different deal because, oh, ooh, movie star. And so I might want to try to get an autograph or get a selfie. You know, I got a selfie of myself with J-Law in Safeway. Uh, you know, it's a different deal because we, we sort of rank people. We evaluate people on what they're worth. The first century Pharisees saw themselves as the top rung. We are we are the most important, most valuable people in our culture. They would have seen sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes. Those people are, are, are bottom dwellers. They, they are of much less value. Uh, today, again, our culture, if you're wealthy, uh, you, have, you have high value. If you're, if you're poor, you have low value. If you're hot, you have high value. If you're not so hot, you have low value. If you're educated, you have high value. If you're not educated, you have a lower value. And now, uh, let me say this, and I, I think you guys will identify. We don't do that consciously or intentionally. None of us in our heart evaluates people in that way. However, it's so ingrained in our society, in our culture, it's almost subconscious. We do it without even thinking about it. We, we really do make these evaluations of people and their worth. In the New Testament, the church is portrayed as the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ is valuable to God on a very personal level. It's, it's, it's a personal value. It's, it's not a monetary value. 
God created human beings to be the bride of Christ, to enter into a love relationship with God. And that's why we're valuable to him, because he wants to be in this connection with us. It's, it's why God goes to such great lengths to find his lost sheep. He turns the light on. He sweeps the floor. He looks behind the couch. He, he wants to find his lost people. He literally uh, not only swept the floor, but he left heaven and came to earth and became a human being that he might connect with his lost people. Whatever culture says your current market value is, we've got a creator who will turn the house upside down to look for us, to look for you. Um, so uh, he, he'll go to great lengths to find those of us that are lost. And, and further, he'll pay the ultimate price to get us back. Um, I don't know if there's a, a more powerful verse in Scripture than John 15, 13, where Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. No one has greater love than this, and to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus paid the ultimate price to redeem us. Maybe um, your self-evaluation is based on a, a kind of a worldly criteria. You have a, a, uh, a low market value, so to speak. And maybe that's because, uh, you, you know, your skin is the wrong color. Or, or maybe uh, you're uneducated. Or maybe, uh, maybe it's because you're kind of homely or maybe you have a disability. Maybe, maybe you got pregnant before you were married or maybe, maybe you had an abortion to deal with that pregnancy. Um, maybe you have the wrong sexual orientation. Uh, maybe you're an addict. Uh, there's a million reasons why you might have a low market value. Uh, maybe, maybe you're in prison. You committed a crime and you're in prison. And the reality is that you owe a debt to society and you'll, you'll have to pay that debt. But I would say that's all the more reason that you need to hear this parable because you still have, uh, you're invaluable to God. You're worth everything to him. He's still going to turn the house upside down to try to find you. He's still looking for you. You, you were created to be God's precious gift from the father to the son, the bride of Christ. God said, here's, here's my church, here's these people, this is my bride. Look, maybe some of those things are true about you. And maybe your current market value is kind of low. Maybe you feel the weight of that, the pain, the loss of that. And I would never minimize that at all. Those are real things, and I believe that God wants to touch our lives and heal us of any of those things. But I think it's really important that we get this, that none of those things, nothing you've ever done, nothing you've ever been, diminishes your value to God. He's sweeping the house, looking behind the couch right now because he wants to draw you into relationship with him. You're that valuable. You know, you might be a drachma on the armpit of society, but you're everything to God. Um, a marketplace mindset will keep us from that truth. When we evaluate our worth the same way we evaluate the worth of everything else, we'll never see the value we have in the eyes of God. We're, we're created to matter. We're created 
to, to have purpose and value. And only God can fill that need inside of us. If we try to fill that in any other way, by being rich, by being beautiful, by being desirable, by being talented, by being smart, we always fall short. <clears throat> and that's what, um, that's what sin does. Sin enters into our lives, it separates us from God, and it causes us to begin to see ourselves by the world's standards. Oh, I'm not as pretty as her. I'm not as buff as him. I'm not as smart as them. Um, marketplace economics <coughs> are based on a zero-sum game. And what that means is that there's only so much to go around. There's a finite amount available. That's why we shop. We compare prices. Uh, we have a budget. We ration our resources. You know, you might say it's, it's a little bit tight this month, so we'll pay this bill now, but we'll wait and pay this bill when our next paycheck comes in. Anybody relate to that? That's, that's how the economic system of the world works. It's just a reality. The whole economy is based on that. If, if there was unlimited resource, there was no shortage, if there was unlimited amounts of money, then money wouldn't matter. We, 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 we would have all we need and everybody would be driving Lexus or I'd be driving a Range Rover, but everybody else would be driving a Lexus. Um, it wouldn't mean anything. When we view God through that lens, we assume he loves people the way that we buy things. And, and there's only so much love to go around and God has to dole it out appropriately but that's not how it works uh, God's love is not based on uh, we, we, you know in that mindset we think God's love is not based on who he is but on market value you know we think well God values the Pharisees more than the tax collectors God values Christians more than Muslims God values good Christians more than the you know not as good Christians it doesn't work that way God's love is unlimited. There's no end to it whatsoever. It just keeps coming. God's love is like the French fries at Red Robin. That's the, that's the best I could come up with. The bottomless fries of Red Robin. You can just have more and more and more. It's infinite, unlimited. Can I have some more fries, please? God's love is, in fact, a broken economy. Because there's no limits. There's no limits at all. He loves every person as much as he loves every other person. And he loves every person as much as he's ever loved that person. And, and that's why in the parable she's looking for that coin. Could she get another drachma? Sure, but she can't get that drachma. And she wants to find that coin. And God wants to find you. He wants to find me. He wants to find each one of us. Look, the world is what it is, and we make evaluations, and, and on some level, that's okay. I mean, the truth is this, that there are some people I would probably let watch my grandkids and others that I would not let watch my grandkids. There are some people that I would go to work for, and there are some people that I would not go to work for. But we can't let that world economy cloud how we understand God's love for us. Um, he sees each one of us as having infinite value, and, and loves us infinitely in him. Uh, so at the end of the story, it says that this woman had great joy. She calls her friends and tells them she found her coin. Why is she so happy? Because she found that which was lost. And, and I think I want to just close today by saying this, that there's joy in the heart of God in relationship with you. When you come into relationship with him, there's, there's, there's an 
overwhelming joy in his heart that he doesn't have when he finds any other person. Now, that's not to say that he doesn't have a similar joy for that person, but it's it's different and it's unique and it's special and it's unlimited when he comes into contact with you. God bless you guys. Just remember that you have infinite value in the eyes of God. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give. We'll see you all online next week.